We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, September the 17th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on September 17, 1787, the Constitution of the United States was completed and signed by a majority of the delegates attending the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. I want to talk a little bit more about that later. Today in 1862, more than 3,600 men were killed in the Civil War battle at Antietam in Maryland. Today in 1908, Lieutenant Thomas E. Selfridge, U.S. Army Signal Corps, he became the first person to die in a crash of a powered aircraft. He was flying the Wright Flyer, W-R-I-G-H-C, like Wright Brothers, at Fort Myer, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., Today in 1937, the likeness of President Abraham Lincoln's head was dedicated at Mount Rushmore. Today in 1987, the city of Philadelphia, the birthplace of the U.S. Constitution, threw a big party celebrate the 200th anniversary of the historic document in a speech at Independence Hall. None other than President Ronald Reagan said the framing of the Constitution was a milestone that would profoundly and forever alter not just these United States, but the world. Of course, Reagan knew that some of our founders said that as well, and he believed 200 years later that it was true. I believe it is true today, even though we're going through some very, very difficult times in our country. We'll talk about more, more, more about that in just a moment. Ten years ago today, a demonstration calling itself Occupy Wall Street had began in New York. Of course, others began to do the same thing around the country. Protests, Occupy protests spread around the country, obviously here to the Northwest. We love this kind of thing. Seattle and Portland are kind of leaders in anything that's a demonstration. But that spread around the world as well. One year ago today, at a drive-in campaign. None other than Democrat Joe Biden. Talking to about a hundred cars, as I recall, in this parking lot that could have accommodated a thousand cars, he denounced President Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic. He called it close to criminal. (laughs) I don't know. That's Joe Biden. Words, words, but no substance. I got this note from one of our listeners. It says, Gary, thank you for your broadcast about drugs and alcohol. I talked about that in a context um, here about a week or so ago. I think it was a little over a week ago. I realized after your message that our Lord wants no part in drunkenness of people. I have not drunk any alcohol since then. With the Lord's help, I can abstain. 
Thank you for sharing that with me. It's an interesting dynamic in this program because as a pastor for all of my life and as a youth pastor for so many years, I've always, when I spoke publicly, whether it was on the radio, on television, in person, in the church, whatever, I've always given like a sermon, I mean like a teaching, from biblical. And yet when the Lord spoke to me about doing this program, I, I really felt that we should, and I felt led that we should take a little different angle on it and come from current events, what's happening today, thus we originate live every day what's happening today in our world, in the news. And so that's a, a different, and yet I, I get notes from people who tell me they've accepted Christ as their personal Savior while listening to this program. I get notes like this, this note in particular, this came from, um, from Oregon. This person was convicted of alcoholism, apparently, and he hasn't had a drink of alcohol since we had that talk over a week ago. So as you support this ministry, I I understand you're supporting what we're doing. We're speaking to the issues of the day through the lens of the Bible, but there is that other level of of impact that's being made. And I, I say that in all humility because it is the Lord who does this. It isn't me. But God uses us, and he's using our voice not only to inform, which is the main thrust of this program, but to speak to the hearts of people regarding their personal lives. And I am humbled by that, and I think you should be too. If you support this ministry, you're a part of this, and this person, let's just remember him in prayer. You don't know his name, but uh, and I wouldn't share that, of course, but... Just remember him in prayer that God will continue to sustain him and help him as he moves away from clearly an abuse of alcohol because he wants to be free of that because he believes that's the Lord's will for his life, and it is. So remember him in prayer. Just say, Lord, help that person to stay sober and to abstain. I want to thank you for your support of all of what this ministry amounts to. And so many of you write such inspiring and encouraging notes. I read them all, every one of them. I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for your support, your financial support. We need it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. The prophet Nahum wrote in the first chapter, verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. If you trust in the Lord, God knows you. If you have accepted his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior, he knows you. If you are rebellious and away from God and your fist in God's face, as so many are today, some who claim to be religious. The President of the United States is one of them. And so is the Vice President. Yet they deny God and the power of the gospel. They deny the truth of God's word. They murder unwanted babies and they they advance 
that agenda, not only across our country, but around the world, claiming to be devout in their faith. We live in an upside-down world. We're pressed. We're troubled. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. That's the word of the Lord for you today and for me. Let's take that and make it our own. Distressed? Yeah. We're not forsaken. We're cast down sometimes, but we're not destroyed. That's all in the power of the Lord. I talked about General Mark Milley, who made those secret calls behind the back of President Trump to China, assuring them that we're not going to attack them. Don't worry about it. I've got everything under control. And I'm not overstating that. That's what he said. I mean, it was in my mind, it's treasonous. He came out this morning. And uh, he's going to be testifying uh, to Congress next week. <clears throat> but he came out today. He told Associated Press. He said, uh, I was perfectly within my duties and responsibilities. And he said, I'm not going to say much more about my phone calls to China until I um, testify to the Congressional Committee. And he said, then I will tell them anything they want to know. So that'll be coming up here before too long. And uh, we'll be talking to you about that, whatever he says. I'm sure he'll spin it as he was being patriotic. But I don't know about that. I don't think it was very patriotic. I would, And I would believe that regardless of who the president would be. I, I would feel the same if somebody were up behind the back of this president, although this president is cognitively impaired. There's no question about it. But when we begin to see our structure of government break down at that level in that way, it should be concerning. The news media always tries to shape opinion. I know you know that. We've talked about that here much and, and will continue to. They, they always try to shape opinion. They never just report things. There was a day when Edward R. Murrow and even Walter Cronkite, he was so far left in his beliefs, Walter Cronkite. If you're over 40, you remember him. He, um, yet, as it turned out, when he retired and got out of, you know, he wasn't uh, the news guy anymore on, what was he, CBS? He, um, then he became an activist for far left causes. But as a news guy, I mean, he may have at some point, he was on the air a long time, but generally you didn't know I mean, he didn't seem to have an agenda. He just reported the news. And generally, that's what news people did. I know there were exceptions, but generally, over the years. And yet, now, we've come to a point where there is never a news story that is not designed and written to shape people's opinion, not just give them the facts. New York Times is a specialist in that field, so is Chicago Tribune, all these guys are. It doesn't matter. The Washington Post, they all do the same thing. There are a few that stick to honest reporting, but very, very few. That's why conservative news sources have had such success in recent years. But anyway, the New York Times came out with a story this morning 
They're saying in the months since January 6th attack on the Capitol, videos and investigations have underscored how violent it was. The attack broke windows, damaged offices at the Capitol building. They quote one Capitol police officer. He said, I felt like I was fighting for my life. I can tell you legitimately, I did not think I was going to make it home. Yet, they say, even as the details of the attack have become clearer, the condemnation of it has become less widespread. Instead, a growing number of Republicans and their media allies, that would be Fox and Newsmax and and um, One One America and so on, a growing number of Republicans and their media allies have downplayed the riot. Some have begun to treat it as a heroic event. And then they say this, and I was going to mention this today, but I'm I'm putting it in a little broader context. Tomorrow, the New York Times says, that would be tomorrow, Saturday, the valorization of of January 6th will come to Capitol Hill when supporters of Donald Trump plan to hold a rally called Justice for J6, or Justice for January 6th, to protest what they call the unfair treatment of people arrested in connection with the attack. The rally is likely to be large enough that the police have reinstalled fencing around the Capitol to protect it. And they are. They was, it was showing the pictures last night of the guys putting that fence up around the Capitol again. And officials have warned lawmakers their aid and their aides to avoid the area on Saturday. The Times goes on to say Trump has played a central role in changing the Republican narrative about that day. He released a statement yesterday, they say. Our hearts, quoting Donald Trump yesterday, our hearts and minds are with the people being persecuted so unfairly related to the January 6th protest concerning the rigged presidential election. Then the Times goes to this, and this is the main reason I wanted to talk a little bit, just a couple of minutes about this um, article. The Times says this, one of the strongest condemnations, but still an indirect one, has come from former President George W. Bush. Remember last week he spoke at that at the commemoration or the remembrance of, of 9-11, and he spoke out at Shanksville in Pennsylvania where the plane, the, the passengers forced the plane in to crash into the ground. They, it took all of their lives, of course. Well, th- it was there that Bush made these comments, and I told you on the air at the time, I said, the press is really going to take this and run with it. And they have, but here it is again, and I've seen it before, quoting the quoting Bush before this week. But here it is in this lead article in the New York Times this morning. Here's what they said, quoting from the New York Times. Uh, the the uh, one of the strongest condemnations, but still an indirect one, has come from former President George W. Bush in a speech this past weekend. He seemed to compare the January 6 rioters to the September 11 terrorists. There is little cultural overlap, he said. I'm quoting Bush now. They're quoting Bush. There is little uh, cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home, Bush said. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit. And it is continuing. it is our continuing duty to confront them. And the Times continues then to say during the week after the attack, 80% of Republicans are talking about the attack of January 6th. 
80% of Republicans said they opposed it, according to the Washington Post poll. By summer, many attitudes had changed. More than half of Trump voters described the events of January 6th as patriotism and defending freedom, according to a CBS News YouGov poll in July. I don't have the time to go into it, but if, you may have noticed, if you were listening carefully, how they transitioned, they pivoted to change the, the impact of what they were saying in this last paragraph. They said 80% of Republicans said they opposed it. And then they say more than half of Trump voters. All Republicans aren't Trump voters, and that's a very misleading statement that they made there. They do it all the time. We pay attention, and that's why we talk about such things on the program here every morning. Today is Constitution Day, September 17, 1787. The delegates of the Constitutional Convention, they met for the last time to sign the document that they'd created. It was not an easy road to get this thing done, I'll tell you. Constitution Day commemorates the formation, the signing, Of this, 39 brave men signed it. They had prayed to Almighty God for direction in creating the document that they would sign and American citizens would ratify through their elected leaders. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Constitution Day is celebrated every year on this day. The level of recognition of it, however, depends on the worldview of the current president. I didn't see anything in the news this morning where President Biden had even acknowledged it. Maybe he did, and I didn't. I missed it because I was looking at a lot of stuff before we came on the air, but I didn't see anything. But he probably will mention it today. I would think he would. I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't. But on Constitution Day 2019, President Trump said 232 years ago, this was 2019, the framers of the Constitution met in Philadelphia and set our country on a bold course toward a more perfect union. John Adams called the drafting of the Constitution the greatest single effort of national deliberation that the world has ever seen. And since its ratification, this exceptional document has remained the bedrock of the rule of law for our nation. President Donald Trump, 2019. Thomas Jefferson said, The example of changing a Constitution by assembling the wise men of the state instead of assembling armies will be worth as much to the world as former examples we have ever given them. The Constitution is unquestionably the wisest ever yet presented to men. This whole thing, America, the Constitution, the Declaration, but specifically the Constitution, it's a miracle document. Because it's been so enduring, most countries have had multiple Constitutions. I mean, some of them 30 and 40 over a period of time, a hundred years even. But if you study the events that led up to the Constitutional Convention, you discover that it's a miracle that the convention itself even convened. The spirit of rivalry, suspicion, jealousy among the individual states was so intense. It was so intense that they agreed on almost nothing. In fact, little Rhode Island They were really up in the air about it. And they said, we're sick and tired of all this, and we won't even attend the Constitutional Convention. And they didn't. There were tariff wars. There were boundary disputes. (laughs) What we're going through today is different, but it's not unique that there's strong disagreement. There were tariff wars, boundary disputes, 
They even fought over how much of the debt created by the Revolutionary War each state owed. They were trying to get other states to pay for it. They didn't want to because the economy was in shambles, business was paralyzed, and lawlessness was on the rise. And it had not been that way initially when they were colonies. So all of a sudden there were these problems and they were pointing fingers and saying, it's your fault, it's you know his whatever. But the writers of the document were well aware of the increasing interest in enlightenment. That would be called progressivism today. It's a little bit different, but not much. They knew about the enlightenment, but their legal mentors, including like John Locke and others, they were Christian. And he and others, Locke and others like him, had written their philosophies of law. And that had profoundly influenced our founders because they had codified scriptural laws from the Bible into a secular law for a country. And this is what guided our founding fathers and those who wrote the Constitution. Philosophies of law. You can you can look it up. I mean, it's voluminous, but you can look it up. You can read it if you, if you want. But the distinguished gentleman who gathered in Philadelphia clearly represented the thinking of America at that time. No, everyone wasn't a Christian, but there was a consensus toward Christianity. Everybody kind of knew there had to be fixed laws. I mean, everybody had to believe that murder was wrong and should be punished and so on. Well, all of that is based on biblical teaching. America was not a religious community, a conclave, but there was a Christian consensus in the country. While the states disagreed on almost everything, as I said, they shared one thing, and that was a conviction that God intervenes in the affairs of man. They believed there was a God. I mean, guys that were out there doing bad things, horrible things. If confronted, they would say, yeah, I I believe there's a God, you know, and some form or another. I mean, there was just this general consent. And then there were a lot of biblical Christians, of course. There are today in America. Well, George Washington had pleaded for this convention. <clears throat> he had told his, his cohorts here in America that, man, we need to get together. We need a document. He had done it so long that he got disgusted with his friends, these people. <laughs> They had fought together, they had created a country together, but Washington just, he got sick and tired of it. And he almost didn't didn't attend this convention. His brother had just died, his mother and sister were seriously ill at this time, and he was in so much pain from rheumatism that he could barely sleep at night, really. And he was worried that some of the most trusted leaders in the country were losing confidence in the Congress and even in the form of Republican principles. So he attended the convention. James Madison and others pointed out right after the convention that had Washington not attended, George Washington, the Constitution would have likely not even been drafted. There are accurate historical accounts of the difficulties these men had in coming to an agreement. I'd like to go through all of them. It's kind of, I don't know, it just makes you feel better to see what we're going through today and then see they went through some of the same things and they prevailed because they trusted in the same scripture that you and I stand on. I shared a couple of them this morning with you. The prophet, Nahum, Paul, the apostle. These guys had these scriptures. They knew. 
and they stood on those scriptures. But the accurate historical accounts are wide, and the disagreement had become so heated in this convention that some of these guys walked out. Then they came back later. I mean, they were mad. They were yelling at each other. Emotions and disagreement were so strong that the period lasting until July 26th of 1787 became known as the crisis period. Franklin, Ben Franklin was one of the, probably the second most respected man in America, well-known, second only to George Washington himself at that time. He was 81 years old. He, too, was over 40. He was 81 years old, but he was had a real presence of mind. Second most respected man in the colonies and so on after Washington. It was in this mess that he stood up and he made what has become a very famous plea. He wasn't very religious, but he pled that prayers be held in the assembly every morning before the delegates proceeded with the agenda. He said, it's so bad, prayer is the only thing we've got. He said in his address, he also requested that one or more of the city's clergy presented to officiate in the in the service. Prayers have opened both houses of Congress ever since. That's why they do that to this day. Shortly after the prayers began, the Connecticut Compromise was presented. Delegate Roger Sherman, a dedicated Christian and Bible student, actually, he called for each state to share equal representation in the Senate, which we do to this day, and allow the House of Representatives to be based on population, which we do to this day. Franklin's call to prayer was the turning point in our creating our Constitution. I believe his words are also a clarion call for us today in America as we wallow in confusion and we're unable to even define who we are as a nation. Let me share a couple of his words. In this situation, he said of this assembly groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us. How has it happened, sir, George Washington, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? He noted that they had prayed when they went up against the British, the most powerful military in the world, and God had helped them, and they defeated, and no one in the world thought the ragtag Continental Army in the United States— or America at the time, could win. But we did. When I study the history of America, I am fully convinced that we are a miracle nation. That's why I believe in our exceptional. It was a miracle that Columbus founded this part of the world. It was a miracle that the early colonists survived and built a nation during those first 156 years. It was a miracle that they rebelled against the motherland and won the Revolutionary War. It was a miracle they survived the Confederacy. That was between 1774 and 1789. And still another miracle that they founded upon this continent a new nation dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, equal under God, equal under the law, and equal opportunity. Not outcome, equal opportunity. Franklin continued, he said, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. He said, we will like babble if we don't look to God. I personally believe, deeply believe, that the solution to our chaos in our country today can only be resolved by God, but it can be resolved by God. 
Thank you so much for being with me today. Have a great weekend. I'll see you right here on Monday.